and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, show number 35. With me this evening, making her second debut, Kimberly. Hi, everybody. And of course... Well, it's not really a debut if it's her second one. It's not? What is it then? I don't no. think you can have a second debut. Technically, a debut is only the first time, so it's her second triumphant appearance. All right. And of course, introducing themselves, Mac... <laughs> Podcasting from my flooded basement in the city of Lakewood. <laughs> yes, flooded basement. Well, it's more that's not really introducing himself. Well, but you, you still introduced him. Well, you you, you spoke up before I introduced before you. How is this supposed to work? What kind of radio is this? <laughs> and of course, the one arguing with me is Iana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I should start introducing myself. Yeah, really, is that better? It's Ian, and of course, I'm your host Brian. So we're uh, podcasting today on Memorial Day. We are indeed. And uh, Mac, um, I think this is, did you put this in here? About Memorial Day? Yeah. I did. All right. Well, I figure it's, you know, I figured we need to, we need to thank those who have passed for their service. So, you know, I have, have you guys got any family who've been in the military or? Uh, yeah, I have a stepbrother. Grandparents or grand, grandfathers. Yeah. My father, my father was in World War II and narrowly escaped Narrowly escaped death when his ship was sunk off of Iwakuni. So, or no, not not Iwakuni. Iwakuni was, was where he was stationed afterwards. He narrowly escaped off of Okinawa when the USS Luce was sunk. So, and what? Okay, what did now? He served on the Midway too, right? He served on the Midway after, and, and he actually served on the Midway during Korea. Okay, all right. So, thank you to all of our soldiers. All right, so. Moving on, we have a cure for AIDS. This was kind of interesting. Um, what happened was that this guy got a he got a transfusion. I believe it was stem cells he had transfused from a somebody with a natural immunity, and he he had a spontaneous remission, and lo- he he lost all viral count. Right, so let's remember to tell him where the article's coming from and stuff like that, real quick. Okay, this is from. UPI.com Science News, and the dateline is in San Francisco. A 45-year-old man in California may be the first person ever cured of AIDS as a result of, a, of an apparent HIV immunity gene. So essentially, what they performed a bone, a bone marrow stem cell transplant to treat his leukemia, and he, he received a spontaneous remission of his HIV-positive status. You know, the, this – I think we covered this – didn't we cover this once um, already? We talked about something else. I'm not sure it was the same incident. I okay. don't believe that it was. Oh, so this is a, this is another incident. Although this happened in 2007, according to the article. Right. So I kind of think this might. Yeah, I kind of think this might be the same one we already talked about. Basically, you know, Maybe. they, they so, drained him of all of his blood and everything, and they did the bone marrow transplant and and give him, and it was all new blood. I mean, it, the process was horrendous. Um, if it's the same one that, that that this man had to go through in order to become a cure, I mean, it isn't a cure that. Um, well, the thing about this article was it was not a, it was not an AIDS cure that they were trying for. They were basically trying to okay. help him with leukemia, and the AIDS cure was a side effect. Because this other person had already had a natural immunity, right? Because he received stem cells, in, stem cells in the bone marrow that that had a natural immunity, and so his immune cells, when the new bone marrow started being produced, killed the AIDS virus. That's what they. Okay, so all right. So is there a peer-reviewed article on this? 
It's a single incident. We we actually don't know what happened here, do we? It's a single incident, and it sounds very much like a lucky accident. Yeah, that sounds kind of suspect. Um, yeah, the, the the anecdotal stuff. I was also really surprised by the quote in here where he says, I quit taking my HIV medication the day that I got the transplant and haven't had to take any since. I, I'm just kind of surprised. Like, why did he think that was a good move? Why? Yeah, why would you do that? Well, I could see why they might have taken him off of it, but he doesn't say they took him off of it. Um, they might have taken him off of it, though, because the, the AIDS cocktail is a pretty harsh cocktail on the body, and he was already recovering from... He was already recovering from a bone marrow transplant for the leukemia, so they might have taken him off the HIV cocktail. But he doesn't say that they took him off of it. He said he's quit taking it. So, yeah, that doesn't sound like a real good move if it was his decision. Yeah, I All right. don't know. It doesn't sound on. very scientific either. It doesn't sound like, okay, we're going to take you off of this and see what happens. It, it, and I think that's kind of what bothered me about the article a little bit. It sounded almost like the way the people who take homeopathic things talk about stuff. I took the homeopathic thing, and next thing I knew, I was cured. I've never been sick another day in my life. You know, like these huge kind of claims out of nowhere that just don't sit perfectly yeah, well. That, that's, yeah. The other thing that I, I, I was interested in, I, I'd never heard that there are 1% of the population with a natural immunity to HIV. I didn't know that we that there were any and that we could identify who those people were. I, that's and, something new to me too see, and that was something I was curious about. I, I've heard that before but I didn't know it was as high as 1%. I knew that there were people who either had an, an immunity or a high resistance to it. You know, and, and that's to be expected, I think, with just about anything. I mean, you look yeah. around, um, like with strep, there are some people that will never get that. They can they can be around it and never get it. So there, so I don't that part I don't find so suspicious that there uh, that there are people that have an immunity or a resistance to AIDS. Yeah. It just sounded like they knew going in that, hey, these stem cells are from somebody who has that immunity. And I didn't get the impression from the article that they knew that the person had immunity going into it. They just knew that they, that they were trying to help them with the leukemia. And that's, so they still don't know that. How do they, how do they know that? that? That's a really good question. Are, did they go back and check the person and say, hey, you know, test his marrow and say, oh, look, it has an immunity to, to AIDS? I mean, or is this just what they suspect? It sounds to me like it's a suspicion. Yeah. So I'm uh I, I'm unimpressed. <laughs> I've also just kind of noted too that they say that while he's an American, he was living in Berlin. So um you know regardless if if it is true and we can kind of give it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt pending more research, um just another kind of not a proud moment to be an American when you realize we should be about ten years from here if politics didn't interfere with stem cell research well that's that's an excellent point yeah but let's not let's not not the ability let's not knock the ability of homeopathic stuff to cure all kinds of items you know (laughs) allergies vital signs any of those pesky any of those pesky things hypochondria that's right i do still support the use of uh, placebo for hypochondria (laughs) all right let's see so so the next one we got is um, the report's a couple years old, but it's um, five years after Portugal's drug decriminalization policy shows positive results. It's an article from April of 2009 in the Scientific America, and um, basically it talks about how for, um, at the time, it had been five years since Portugal decriminalized pretty much all drugs. And c- contrary to what many people in our country seem to want 
the claim, it actually worked. The um, people were using less drugs. There were less people in jail for drug use because if you were caught using drugs, you didn't go to jail. Instead, you went to treatment centers. The dealers still would go to jail, but the users were actually being treated as people that had problems and needed to work through them instead of criminals. And, and all across the board, if you read this article, it was a very positive thing to do. So it said that the, the number of deaths from street drug overdoses dropped from 400 to 290. So that's about a, about a 25% drop. The number HIV of new cases, age caused by um, di- using dirty needles. Yeah. Plummeted uh, nearly 1,400. To about 400, yeah. which is a drastic drop. That's, you know. So, you know, once more, this is one of those things that shows that the, the pushing of moral ideas from one group doesn't necessarily make things better. You know, you have to think logically. You have to look at things and say, okay, what is the real issues that are going on? Just because you morally are against something doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It, it doesn't mean that the way you're treating it is actually going to make it better. You know, you, laws can't be based on morals, and this is, to me, one of those things that shows it. You know, here in America, we had that already happen, and that was called Prohibition, the most violent time in American history outside of a war, and it was well, pushing morals. And so many of the, the ideas we have based on drug use here are really moral-based and lack so much logic. I mean, you decriminalize it. You make it so that we're not putting users in jail. You can, um, you, we'll have more money to do more things because we won't be wasting money on just going after people who are using drugs. We will um, have more money because we won't have as many people in jail. Um, our law enforcement can actually be doing a better job of going after real criminals. You know, there's so many levels where doing this can benefit. And you know, it talks about how Spain and Italy have also decriminalized. And Mexico at the time was proposing. I don't know if they did. But I think Colombia Ian, did something as well, Ian, didn't I've they? got to challenge you, though, on laws can't be based on morals. Okay. Um, the law against homicide is based on morals. No, it's not. Do we want to decriminalize homicide? No, because homicide um, hurts society. We can't have it legalized. People just go around and killing at will. Why not? Because um, then society couldn't function. There is a difference. Well, isn't and, the, and that's thing you have to look at. I think to look at. society would function more politely. Mm. <laughs> is it, isn't the actual reason that we can't do it is because the Bible says thou shalt not kill? Yeah, but the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not do street drugs. But that, but the thou shalt not kill kind of thing exists in societies outside of ones biblically based. It, it does. Is an, it is one of the, yeah. probably the most standard laws in any civilized society because you have to have it to be able to function as a society. That's a common sense law. And also, um, the, the basic ideas of our country are um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as long as it doesn't interfere with someone else's ability to do the same. Right. So, in other words, constitutionally, homicide interferes with somebody else's right to life. So, you've basically, right. you've basically cut into somebody's constitutional rights. And that's an argument that I can hold for it. But on, uh, you know, to say that you can't base laws on morals, what do you think we base laws upon? We base laws on the morals of our society. We, have, we base laws upon the morals of what we want our society to be. So you're it's saying, just that we need to find out what serves our society better. So you're saying and we can legislate. Decriminalizing users who could be yeah. better served by treatment seems to serve better in this case. I, I don't agree with your interpretation of morals. I, I think that's part of the problem here. Well, I think that, that that's, a, that's a much bigger issue is morals yeah. and where morals come from. I mean th- this, is, this is a conversation we have all the time, particularly in, in, you know, with other skeptics, because 
Well, and I guess not with other skeptics, but you know, where you have the the skeptics, and then you know, then Christians or other religious folk, you know, they they, they they're saying you can't have morality without religion, and we're saying yes, morality is is an evolved trait because these things evolved because it made things easier to work in a society, and they're saying, well, no, they came from the Bible because the Bible said we had to do these things, and that's where morality comes from. So we can have a debate about morality and where it comes from. Um, yeah. And, and that debate goes on. Is. I think that's yeah. part of the problem we're having. But the right illegal, now. the illegal drug thing is not a biblical thing. It's a, it's a, I guess you could say it's an extension of biblical morals, but it's an extension of Christian biblical morals. See, but I, but I think it's, it's not, more of an uh, extension of the idea of a society that is controlled by people. That your individual actions should be. Um, should be censored by some some party. I mean, it goes back to the same kind of thing of you know the blue laws where you can't buy alcohol on Sundays because Jesus right. will be sad and stuff like that. Those kind of things are ridiculous because they cross that line. I mean, to to an earlier point, yes, of course, as a society we legislate what we think is best for society. But stuff like drug use, personal drug use, where I'm not interfering with anybody else by by lighting up a joint. It, it, it comes, I think, from that same yeah. hierarchy kind of sense of we will control you, we right. control everything you do. Well, we, we don't think that this is – Stuff like that. We have a right. lot of that out there. As far as the blue laws, you can't buy alcohol on Sunday because Jesus will be sad. What do they serve communion with? That's Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because of, be, and it's grape juice. No, because of the transmutation, they're serving that with blood. That is true. <laughs> And the and the body of Christ. Yep. So because of the transmutation, it's no longer wine. So so your your argument is null and void. Anyone else down? Anyone else down with the theory that because Jesus wants you to eat of his flesh and drink his blood, that he may actually be a vampire? The whole, the whole just, three thing, three days in the grave. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Right. Kind of yeah. Too, yeah. Or he's I a just zombie. Don't know if he sparkled when he came up. Well, well he could be a zombie. Zombie Jesus. I believe in zombie Jesus. I believe in vampire Jesus. I'm I'm torn between the two theories. All right. All right. But anyway, I, I went a little bit off. Uh, yeah, we, we're okay. off the rails, huh? <laughs> it did. But we go off the rails here. We're going off the rails on a crazy skeptic train. All right. I, I just, one well, more thing about yeah. the article. I've, I've just been really kind of cognizant of hack journalism um, lately. And I thought one of the interesting parts here was they're talking about was the decriminalization, the sole reason for the decrease in drug use. And um, mm. it, it kind of came to me that in this article in particular, they're trying to serve so many different masters. Did it reduce the number of drugs being done or did it reduce the amount of hiv caused by drug use or what exactly was it trying to do because his quote this guy peter ruder router ruder i don't know um from the university of maryland says cites um another factor saying that amongst teen there's a global decline in mari- marijuana use you you can't get hiv from marijuana use no matter how hard you try right right you know but right. the other thing is that they're, I think you'd also have a hard saying, time say, saying that there's a direct connection between marijuana use and HIV. Yeah. Right. And so I just I, I just thought it an interesting point in the article that, you know, depending on somebody's point of view, they kind of used it for different things. And like if we're talking about HIV and drug overdoses, you clearly are not talking about pot because it's I'm I'm pretty sure impossible to overdose on pot and like I said, you certainly can't get HIV from it. Right. So I just thought it was interesting that they use those kind of things where convenient. Uh, it's kind of a non sequitur, right? The I other, mean, it really doesn't. Yeah, the other thing that about this article is that that they're, they're, they're contributing the the reduction 
in these things to this law. But how do we know that there wasn't also a major awareness campaign or something else that happened at the same time? We don't. So, so there, there's another problem with this kind of journalism is that it it's very self-serving in that they, they, whoever it's whoever whoever was doing this article wanted that to be the to be the cause. It's a post talk. Yeah, it is. So, so and it may be true. And, and that does not to say that it might not be true, but I think, in all fairness, they, they we need to say at the, you know it was there anything else going on at the same time that would have to be investigated before we could right. make any sort of conclusion as to what the actual cause of the reduction was. There could be a heck of a lot more proof put in here, and there's not. I agree. Yeah. So. So. It's, yeah. But study wise, I think it is very interesting. People would people seem to have the natural tendency to think if you decriminalize it, you will increase usage. And right. this suggested the opposite happened. So Yeah, and I think that I think that we've seen this elsewhere and I think that we know that we have a lot of criminals in our jails for marijuana usage and other, you know, lesser um, drug crimes that probably shouldn't be there and are costing us a lot of money but that you know that totally moves into a political discussion so it does and we try to stay away from politics here Nah, sometimes <laughs> depends on whether it serves us or not <laughs> we're very sorry we're, we're hack happened, journalists what some stupid hack politician has said this particular <laughs> exactly <week. laughs> right exactly <laughs> all right revealed how area 51 hit secret craft I thought this was a really cool article. This was in National Geographic. Yeah. Yeah. And I was first drawn to it because I'm like, okay, are they telling us now that there were alien craft? And it wasn't alien craft. It was actually classified U.S. craft and their experimental club, experimental craft. And one of the things that was interesting and cool in this article is they were talking about the fact that they knew when the Russian satellites were going to be overhead. They had like a schedule of the Russian satellites. So... They knew when to move stuff and hide and hide it, even while it was being tested. Um, let's see. The CIA created Area 51 in 1955 to test and develop top-secret U.S. military projects in the remote Nevada desert. You know, I, I'm going to stop you right there. That's an interesting claim, uh, except for the fact that they don't admit the existence of it at all. So where does that right. information come from? Okay, I go have on. a similar question. Yeah, it, it does <laughs> That's go back and question. forth on on whether or not it officially exists. Yeah, so so if it doesn't, if, yeah. So where where did that? I, I I just wonder where that date came from. I mean, it it sounds awfully authoritative, but yet on this at the same time, later on they're going to tell us that 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 they still admit that it isn't, or they still claim it doesn't exist. So I don't, that's get, a very good point. Yeah. Continue. But I you know I just thought it was a I thought it was a cool interesting article talking about talking about the different the different planes that they were hiding from the uh, hiding from the Soviet satellites. Sure. They'd give a day, they'd have a daily meeting telling them what satellites the Soviets had in the air and what time they were coming by. So, but uh, there is a national geographic channel document documentary called area 51 declassified. Um, yeah. But okay. Here, once again, uh, is it really declassified because they still don't admit it exists. So how they declassify it? I don't aren't they? Would they it's have to fair, admit fair it exists? I, I I'm just confused. You know, the thing is, is that the, because the, the, we're fairly confident this base exists, and the government won't admit that it exists, it is ripe for conspiracy theories. <laughs> that is very true. Um, because it's so impressed on the American culture as to the fact that Area 51 has all the secrets. Mm-hmm. It's got the it's got the crashed Roswell spacecraft. It's got the alien autopsy. It's got this. It's got that. It's got lasers. It's got 
the Lost Ark. It's got all that that in a bag of chips. Right. And it's so impressed upon our culture that, you know, you're asking the question, we don't know that Area 51 really exists, but right off the bat, I look at it and I say, okay, well, Area 51. Right. Now, did or you guys catch the, um, the Daily Show? And I think it's been on a couple of other things. Um, a woman named Annie Jacobson came out with yes. Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base. Um, I did not yeah, see that. No, I haven't seen oh, that. I, I mean, if you love Area 51 kind of stuff and the conspiracy things, she comes in and talks about how, you know, oh, she's done all these interviews with people and as things have gotten declassified and she's gotten the real truth, which she then spins into a whole new mythology with absolutely no real evidence except for the, un, the, the unbiased, absolutely truthful report of one unnamed person who knew the whole thing about how it was actually a... I believe a Nazi program picked up by the Russians to fool Americans into thinking that there were aliens. I mean, so it's like it's got everything, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's but it's just a whole nother conspiracy theory. Again, to Brian's point, based on the fact that there's no official record of it, so you can say it's anything you want, and you have just as much proof as anybody else has about just about anything here. Right. So, yeah. I did find the article that you, that you put out there, Mac, really funny, though. I mean, the, the way they hit it, you know, they had these amazing satellites that could take pictures of the ground, and we couldn't stop them from doing that. And they put them into sheds. Like, mm-hmm. that's that was the, you know, high-tech, super-secret, how-to-make-yourself-an-invisible-jet is you hide it under a piece of canvas. Well, and then they also <laughs> kind of hinted that the fact that they, they put stuff up there is a red herring to interest them that didn't actually exist. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. Like you say, just uh, just trying to sort out the what is actually come out and truly declassified, and what you know is suggested. You know, again, to the fact that we don't officially have an Area 51 yet, we're talking about declassified documents from it. It just something doesn't add up, and um, and it, it's even more, I think, depressing. And I don't know if National Geographic. I don't personally get the channel, but I know stuff like the History Channel, and you know the T stuff like that these used to be things that you know if you saw them on there you're like all right i i could i could i'm assuming somebody did their research i can have a a fairly good idea that this is information i can trust but that is no longer the case on those channels and i don't know if national geo is in the same boat anymore or not there's a lot of stuff that they're trying to sensationalize definitely so yeah they're trying to sell us a bill of goods interesting stuff yeah it is all right so Moving on to more conspiracies. Cold War spy plane found in Baltic. Wait, did we remove the... Remove... Oh, no. Okay, we didn't. Okay. The Bermuda Triangle's right, down that, below that. That goes with this, though, kind of, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's the Bermuda Triangle's not real near the Baltic Sea, but they are both on water. So they kind of go together. Um, basically, okay. on this one, it was a DC-3 that was shot down by the Russians... Nobody would actually ad- – the, the the Swedes would not admit that the plane was a spy plane, and the Russians wouldn't admit to having shot it down for years. But they finally – finally, the uh, I guess it was the Swedish ambassador mentioned to somebody in Russia that they did have a spy plane, and a Russian pilot came forward and said, yeah, I shot that spy plane down over the Baltic Sea. And they uh, they used sonar on, on the uh, floor of the Baltic Sea, and – finally located the the DC-3, which is a two-engine prop-driven plane, and they're really hard to knock down. They're really, really tough in the air. These things can basically fly on one engine that's not working real well. But they shot this plane down. It's in good condition on the seafloor. They are going to salvage the DC-3, 
the first question that, that my wife asked when I brought up this article to her is, what is on the DC-3 that they're so interested in salvaging? Because that's an expensive operation. What do they want that's on the DC three? Well, who's do, well? I guess then who's doing it? Who's providing the money? Is it for historical value, or is or is it some government? Uh, the guy who is doing it. It looks like this is a private company doing this, but deep sea well, production is the one saying they're salvaging it. Okay, so I mean, who did this could just be for pure historical interest? It could be, and or there could be something on the plane that they really want. Well, you can. You know, what kind of conspiracy do you want to start? I think, there, I think there are zombies on the plane. There we go. I'm <laughs> good at zombies. Zombie conspiracy. It's probably what zombie I Jesus. More interesting is I'm talking about how many wrecks are actually in the Baltic Sea and how hard it actually was just to find this one out of. You know, they're saying there are hundreds, if not thousands, of wrecks. Yes, I like the fact they were talking about. They were talking about if people had any idea how many wrecks were on the floor of the Baltic Sea, the air, the region would be crawling with divers twenty four seven. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. I I would not be surprised if if this was just for historical value. You know, it might it might be. Wor- I mean, yeah, it's expensive, but it might be worth the cost because how, I mean, how many of these planes exist? Um, you know. Do we know that how much many, about them? How many DC-3s? Yeah. They're still being kept aloft. Uh, I guess they're a favorite of, like, South American drug runners still. Oh, really? Yeah, well. Yeah. DC-3 was a really uh, – we're talking uh, McDonnell Douglas. It was their – Grumman, I think, right? Uh, no, it was McDonnell Douglas. Okay. Uh, this was their – this was their – kind of their go-to craft through the 40s and 50s. And these things are really, really hard to knock down. So, so there might be nothing really special about the plane that's on that that's down there, right? Unless it's something cultural. Okay, I don't know. I, so. I, I just I just hate this idea of attaching this big conspiracy. You know that there's got to be something on the plane when it could. When I think historical value, I mean, is as much a reason to bring something like this up as anything else. They said that they indicated that the wreck has not deteriorated much, and they're wondering if the remains of the crew are still on board. Oh well, see, that's a reason. So, yeah, so I don't know. I I, I just well, it don't... says all eight of the wives were kept in the dark as to what happened to their husbands, and they did. Um, basically, they never remarried because of it, which is sad. Yeah, yeah. All right, so on to the Bermuda Triangle. Yes, please. Okay. Um, what they start off talking about was Flight 19, the torpedo bombers. Okay. And they flew out toward the Bermuda Triangle and essentially disappeared. They were never seen again. And a plane, one of the planes that went out to look for them also disappeared. Okay. This, was, uh, this was in World War II. Um, one of the things what the article cites, though, is the fact that th- this, this article is intended to demystify the Bermuda Triangle or to show some explanations for things. There, there's got to the be a mystery they, there to begin with to demystify it. I'm sorry, Brian? There, there has to be a mystery there in the first place to demystify. Well, we've created a mystery. Well, yeah, one has been created, but there's no real mystery. Right. Um, there's deep, deep trenches in that area, and there is talk of compasses and electro and electronic equipment not being the most reliable in that area when there's weather out, when they're, when they're weather going. But as far as the Flight 19 goes, we're talking about five torpedo bombers and... This is an incredibly heavy plane. They said that the lead pilot's compass was malfunctioning, and navigation is going to be done by compass direction and time traveled per distance because there's no landmarks. Right. And the last transmission they had was that they were going to wait until the fuel hit 10 gallons, and then they were going to ditch. 
which means they were going to try for a sea landing and try to survive. And these planes, uh, if they hit for a sea landing, they would go down to the bottom very, very fast because they were incredibly heavy armored planes. Um, the plane that went out after it the uh, was a, let's see, let me make sure I've got the name of the plane correct. I believe it was a PBY, but PBM Mariner. Okay, not a PBY, but a PBM Mariner. And these planes were famous for you don't strike a match and you don't strike a spark in these planes because they'll go up. So in the location where that plane might have been, something along the flight path, they did find an oil slick and debris on that flight path. So that plane's not really a mystery. Okay. Um, But basically it's talking about the fact that this location... The Bermuda Triangle has some of the deepest underwater trenches, and wreckage is going to disappear to those trenches, and only now do we have equipment that can start plumbing those trenches. Right. You know, this is – the whole Bermuda Triangle is – I mean, it's it's interesting, um, but any place where you have large bodies of water, the Bermuda Triangle, that uh, so the, the Atlantic is one. Um, what is it? The Devil's Sear near Japan. And then, of right. course, the South Atlantic um, is, is another place. But there is a South Atlantic anomaly, and I forget, uh, Brian Dunning talks about that. But any place where you have large bodies of water, you're going to have wreckages. Things are going to sink, and and pe- people are going to get lost, particularly when all you have is a compass and you're going by time. And if something disrupts the compass, which can happen, things are going to well, sink. Well, actually, in the article, they talk about how um, it's one of the few places where magnetic north and true north line up, and apparently that can throw compasses so, off a little. Yeah, so the, so the GPS is a, is a better option if you're going to go that way. But they didn't right. have that. There's also the statistics involved. They also mentioned that, that the, the path there is, is a very well-traveled one and has been for hundreds of years. Right. Statistically, there's that many planes going through. Some of them are going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. true of anything. So If it's, it's a popular you know, trade route, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have more... More spectacular, more spectacular incidents than a less popular trade route. Well, right, yeah, and boats are going to sink. Large boats are going to go under, and we're never, never going to hear from them again. Particularly, and in hard there's weather. a lot of superstition around the sea in the first place. Right. So, oh, yeah. so, yeah. So the, the stuff I put in here is just to go. It's just a link to Brian Dunning uh, talking about the Bermuda Triangle. And, and a, talking about the fact that that when you actually drill down to it, there is no big mystery. There aren't there. There's no statistically more un, unsolved cases going on, if I right. remember right. Right. Yeah. He says that statistically, there's nothing. There's nothing strange going on here. That it, that it, what has happened is exactly what is expected to happen. I mean, you could start the same kind of mystery mongering for the, the Great Lakes. You know, for for uh, Lake Michigan. I mean, that yeah. stuff capsizes and, and sinks all the time. And that has a nasty history. Yeah. So, and yeah. they even have a song about one of the wrecks. Yeah. Edmund Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read a book years ago called Limbo of the Lost. Pretty sure it's out of print now. But they drew a diagram of everywhere, not just the Bermuda Triangle, but everywhere where ships were lost. And pretty much, you've got lines crisscrossing the entire the entire map of the world. Well, There's right. nowhere yeah. where you don't have areas where ships just get lost. Well, that's the problem with the Bermuda Triangle in and of itself is that they keep, you know, redrawing the triangle to, to make it fit. <laughs> and the Baltic sounds like it could be a category for this. Uh, it could be a good candidate for this same type of mystery mongering just as easily. Yeah. 
Yeah. It brings up the, the you know the point of people who are like, oh, I'd never live in a, a place where somebody had died. Well, if you kind of look at the planet, you're <laughs> going to be really hard pressed to find a square what mile foot i don't even yeah, know, don't know where someone in the course of human history did not die right. and if you're not yeah. talking about people where if you talk yeah. about anything dying any yeah. living thing then it's a certainty plants have died insects have died some by your hand okay uh, yeah i'd be surprised to find a house that hasn't had pets and more than likely the pets have died in it right. yep and in some cases we're probably buried in the backyard in a shoebox mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than a ghost snake in the house <laughs> But yeah, it's it, all these kind of things are you know follow the money. Somebody is making some money on the rumor mill, on the mystery, and right. that's that's where these all seem to come from. Yeah, you know, you say this about the ghost snake, Brian, but aren't you still being haunted by that tailless iguana? <laughs> oh man, uh, that is a heck of a story. That was an unhappy, unhappy creature. Oh man. Yeah, I had to. I, I guess I should tell it. Um, I, I was at. We used to have this iguana that it's just we. It was a kind of a rescue iguana. Man, it was just nasty and mean, and it 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 had been abused. And boy, it just hated us. And one day I'm at work. It was a weekend, and uh, or was it a week? It doesn't matter. I get a phone call from my wife telling me that I, I have to come home. The uh, iguana dropped its tail and ran out of the apartment. <laughs> Which so. is something iguanas are designed to do is yeah. their tails are built with fracture planes so that they can they can drop their tail and run if they need to. Right. And it was still twitching and she wasn't going to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to go and tell my boss I need to go home because the iguana dropped its tail and I have to go pick up the tail. <laughs> they let me go. <laughs> Uh, what do you say to that? I, I, yeah, they they didn't know what to say to that. <laughs> oh, that one again. Yeah. yeah that's sure. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure you do. Yeah. All right. Let's move on here. Okay. All right. Bin Laden well, prayer request. I'm sure request. some people oh. have heard of this, if not everyone by now. Yeah. This but is... a, um, in a church in Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida, um, a, a Catholic church, um, a prisoner left a prayer request for Osama Bin Laden. That basically, you know, the, the prayer request was for him to be forgiven for his sins. Now, what, what I love about this is this is the exact kind of thing that shows some of the weaknesses within these religions because it has divided the church. Because apparently a lot of these people who claim to be practicing Catholicism and following the teachings of Jesus Christ don't quite understand them. Yeah, um, hate the sin, not the sinner. Your yeah, hate, hate the yeah. sin, not the it's sinner. It's all about turning the other cheek. Yeah. Um, and honestly, to pray for the soul of somebody, pray for the forgiveness of somebody is an incredibly Christian thing to do. Right. No matter who he was, no matter how bad of things he did, the idea of saying, let's pray for him is actually very Christian. And to have these people who, you know, who are claiming to be Catholics and stuff who can't get over their anger shows a lot about their character, if you ask me. But it also shows I don't know how good, how truly strong their faith is then if they, you know, Go and say, hey, you know, we want him to burn him. Because really, if you look at the ideas of Christianity, you're not supposed to desire for anyone to ever burn in hell no matter what. No matter what they've done. It's not a good thing to want them to burn in hell. Right. And one of the tenets of one of the tenets of the Catholic faith, one of the tenets of Christianity in general is no matter what you've done, you can be saved. Right. No matter what terrible things you have done, you ask for forgiveness 
you do the penance and you are saved. Right. You know, here's the thing. I, I really think that I don't I think that looking at this as if the church is divided, it may not be not may not be the case. I mean that's certainly it's being presented that way, but I'll bet I don't know, I, I would hope Based on especially the comments that that were left by Christians, that the, the the minority of the people that said we shouldn't be praying for Bin Laden. I mean, I was really getting upset about this. I'm like, you know, this is just more fodder for why Christianity is hypocritical. But then I started reading the comments, um, you know, because everybody's saying, is it too soon to you know to to pray for Bin Laden? And the, this one person says, no. As a Christian, I completely understand this. Um, then another one says uh, Christians need to put their prayers where their mouth where their mouths are. Forgiveness is not selective. That's true. So, and if you look at it in one of the articles, it talks about um, I guess Burga. Uh, what is his first name? They actually the guy did come forward. Henry Burga is the one who put his name on the list, and I love what he says because it's a great quote. Um, he said he put the name on the list after he saw um, how people were celebrating and cheering on the fact that. Um, Osama bin Laden was, had been killed. And um, he just said, no, that's not the way it should be done. You know, yeah, he did bad things, and it's to some level, yeah, it's good that he's been taken out of the picture, so we can't continue to do him. But the, to actually celebrate the killing is not something a, a Christian should do, and honestly, I don't think it's what, something anyone should do. It's not, it's not a Christian value. He was stopped so he could do no further evil. Right. It was a difficult sight, though, to, to see that after bin Laden was killed. I mean, I, I really have no problem, and this is just a personal feeling about it, of, of him being dead. I mean, I think for his crimes, the idea of, of just capturing him and, and you know, trying to rehabilitate him or something silly like that is impossible. He, I, I totally get killing him. Um, but I did have a slightly squeamish feeling at seeing pictures of celebrations sure. that looked eerily similar to the pictures I saw of celebrations following 9-11 in those countries. It's the same instinct. It's the same feeling of tribulation or, or joy, rather, uh, and celebration at the fall of your enemies that's really barbaric and, and is shocking in 21st century world. I mean, we're, but we still have these very base instincts. When our enemy goes down, there's something inside of us that cheers for it. I'm, I'm not sure we should be celebrating that kind of a, an instinct. I and get it, but I'm disturbed by it. Yeah, It's, it's something that we deplore when we see it in other countries celebrating the deaths of Americans. Right. We deplore it in them and we echo it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see, I, I believe, I don't have a problem with the death penalty. I'm not a strong proponent of it, but I'm not a, I'm not against it either. But I see it as, I don't see it as being a punishment. I see it as being, you, the death penalty is there to stop someone from doing further harm. There are some right. people that that is the only way to stop them from doing further harm. But it's not something to celebrate. Yeah. In this case, bin Laden was stopped because it, he was stopped to stop him from doing further harm. You know, I, I think I said this last week. You know, we did not kill bin Laden. It was a group of soldiers that went in and killed him. And they went in and they did their job and they had a successful mission. If they want to celebrate their successful mission because, you know, they went in and they accomplished their task, that I, I, I kind of see as different because, you know, they, they had they had a mission, they went in, they accomplished it. They, and, There's and, a line though, Brian. I mean, I, I listened okay. to the podcast last week, and and I understand what you're saying, but it seems very semantical to, uh, to Does me. Does it? Okay. We we are our military. They are a reflection on us as a civilization, as a country. We, I believe, kind of 
not directly. We obviously don't vote on their marching orders, but I, well, you're absolutely right. The same way that we never win a game, the Broncos players win the game. We, as Denverites, get excited about it by the same well, token. Well, some of us do. We, as um, Denverites, support them. R- well, and yeah, that, that's and, definitely and, a matter of Denver pride to be a Broncos fan, even especially when they're losing. Okay. Right. But I'm just saying, military-wise, I mean, yes, we are not, obviously, any of us members of SEAL Team 6, but they were representing the United States of America. And like it or not, and I think that's a whole nother discussion, the we works here, in my opinion. Well, and it's the it's okay. today's Memorial Day, mm-hmm. and maybe we don't, maybe not all of us have people in the military who have who have served, or people in the military who have died serving. But we celebrate Memorial Day. I don't. I'm not in favor of going out and celebrating in the streets, but I don't think that it's inappropriate to say, you know what, uh, you know, they did they they did something that needed to be done. Whether, you but, know. Okay. I, I hope everyone's heard this quote. It was um, a Martin Luther King Jr. quote that was altered, originally credited to um, Penn of Penn and Teller, but then it turned out he actually found it from someone else. Okay. Um, it, it's a great quote because it really does sum up the way we should respond to these things. And like I said, it's a altered Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. And, quote. And it's not they even go, that. Actually, there, there, there's a whole pinpoint on this. Go, you can go ahead and give the quote, but don't attribute it to... Don't attribute it to anybody. Just say it. I mourn the loss of thousands of precious lives, but I will not rejoice in the death of one, not even an enemy. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's a good quote. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that it wasn't actually Martin Luther King. Um, I think Penn uh, misquoted it. Pieces of it are from one of yeah, his speeches. Yeah, but it's kind of a it, – it was mis- – Penn misquoted it, and he, he's done a whole pen point on it, and um, <laughs> he, he's gotten a lot of flack for it. So, so yeah, so the quote, the quote is good, but it, I, I'm not sure who it's actually attributed to. All right, so <laughs> – Let's Once again, on. we've gone a little bit off yeah, the, uh, okay. the track on this article. I think it's interesting, though. I mean, you know, it, it really does bring up um, – I, I can see where the person who, who put the request in for the prayer is coming from, although I, I thought it was interesting that one of the articles suggested that it was just for attention, and yeah. I would I, it doesn't. That. <laughs> it doesn't seem like an attention grab to me. It sounds like somebody who had something and believed it and is sticking with an unpopular view despite what other people are saying. So I'm supporting him on that. Oh, I, I I would support him too, and I, I and I and I don't think that people should be celebrating in the streets, you know. But I think that it had to be done. So, yeah. so. and we can of course come back to the uh, the whole atheist thing of you know go ahead and pray or don't pray. The outcome is actually identical. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. well, that's true. <laughs> I hope he got his seventy two virgins. They'll be nagging him to death. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Yeah, students. So this next yeah. one is student protesting unconstitutional school prayer against death threats. It is from um, Politicus USA, and it's um, recent, just May 29th here. Um, basically, it talks about a an attitude that's out there, and um, then goes specifically to a student from Louisiana who um, had issue with um, prayers at school functions and um, contacted them. And the school, of course, went and altered things so that the 
that they now have a moment of silence instead of an official silence prayer kind of deal. And if I could interrupt real quick, when this came out, uh, the school did go ahead and bow to it because when the kid pointed out, hey, I'll get the ACLU on this, it's clearly unconstitutional to have prayer at a public school graduation ceremony. They were like, oh, yeah, we could totally get sued for this. But they were very half-hearted about the whole thing. They, The, the, the people involved, the, the management of the school, the principals or whatever, were kind of even at the time like, well, we'll do it, but this guy's a jerk for make, making us do this. So they were pretty unsupportive, even as they did, in theory, the right thing. But go ahead, Ian. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just mm-hmm. wanted to put that out. Well, then it gets into, you know, after everything he went through to um, do this. Uh, and I, I've seen the same attitude myself, actually. Um, but these good Christians, and what do they do? They um, start abusing him. They, they Death threats. Um, the whole um, society down there basically um, goes out of their way to make him uncomfortable. You know, it's basically bullying because he's not like them. And I, I didn't even say his parents threw him out of his house. Yeah, that was disappointing to see. Yeah. Like, wow. what, what great Christians these people are. You know, you disagree with us. Guess what? We want you gone. We don't want you near us, even if you're our own kid. There was and, a, and, uh, and even if the Constitution clearly shows you're right. Yeah, that's pretty one sad. Of our, uh, one of our friends, Eric Blommel, who's been on the podcast, um, he put on his Facebook post a link talking about the fact that if if people actually essentially they that Christians really don't wouldn't like Jesus if they met him in person. <laughs> so it was talking about the different values that they espouse as Christians versus the values that Jesus himself actually espoused. That it was a hilarious article to read, but it was thought provoking as well. Mm. And I've, you know, going with personal experience, I have actually been physically threatened by Christians just because I stated I don't believe as they do. It wasn't even anything big, but they were ready to start a fight just because I'm like, you know what? I don't believe as you do. I think you're wrong in some of this. You know, you don't believe in God. You know, maybe we have to beat it into you kind of attitude. It's like, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like they want false conversions. It's like they don't care about the conversion. As long as they get you to convert, it doesn't matter, you know, for what reason it was for. Yeah, and it it definitely doesn't seem to fit the teachings of Christianity that uh, you know Jesus supposedly was trying to promote. Right. It, it all comes under the category of deliverance from evil, and I do mean deliverance as in the movie. <laughs> Did any of them tell you you had a pretty mouth, Ian? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I I was I did I don't know. I, did they find did the ECU step in or he just? They stepped in earlier, but it's um. In, at this point, I'm not even sure what they could do because the, the schools are are playing along with the game of okay, we'll, we'll give in, you know. So it's like, you know, whether or not they mean it, you know, that, that becomes a slightly different thing. It's but... it's it's okay. Well, we'll do it, but we are really mad on you for telling on us, yeah. right? Well, and it also it, it evoked for me. Um, I don't know if you guys followed this story last year. There was a um, a lesbian girl in another Louisiana school who wanted to bring her girlfriend to the prom and yeah, sued that. for it. And the school finally said, "Okay, fine, you can do it." Um, and they wound up having a private prom instead of the normal one, right. and then didn't invite her to it. So it was, it was very oh, similar to this kind of wow. situation in which they. Yeah, we we, we talked we talked about the prom, but I I don't think we talked I don't think that we talked about that conclusion. I don't remember that we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, that, that is what happened. Wow. 
Yeah. So they, so I mean, and and they followed the the letter of the law, which you know, again, going back to our moral discussion, just because you follow the letter of the law does not mean you're necessarily good. Um, because they did, they followed it. They took it out of a public situation where instead of having a public thing in which anybody should be allowed to go, they made it into a private function to stand by their convictions that you know she was wrong. Our so, problem by invitation only. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. But a private one, you know, sponsored by the bigoted parents that left her out of it. So, I mean, it's a really sad situation, and it sounds like they did effectively the same kind of thing here. Of the, yep, okay, you got us by the short hairs. We'll do what you say because legally we have no choice. But um, you are shunned, boy. Well, he's shunned, and they did the prayer anyway. They just blamed it on basically one student who started it. The whole audience erupted into, you know, Applause. cheers because, you know, yeah. this is God's will and all this kind of stuff. Uh. Just really shameful just all around, in my opinion. You know, just this we're right and we've got the numbers to prove it kind of uh, kind of mentality. You know, yeah. there was the whole thing about the moral majority back in the uh, – 80s, 90s, the moral majority, and it turned out they were neither. They were just vocal. Right. Well, you hear the idea that the majority rules in democracy, but that's not actually true because the majority can't go against the Constitution. You know, the majority can't say, hey, we want to vote out your freedom. It goes just yep. the other way. You know, the freedoms actually trump the majority. Well, that's the theory anyway. We are yeah. actually extraordinarily poor at at this time in this country. Agreed. But, yeah. That's where it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell us about Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. Well, this is an article from Times News, News Feed. Uh, the, the article's title is Chuck E. Cheese, a gambling gateway restaurant. And the funny thing is... I agree with the majority of it, but the fact that um, a lawyer is busy trying to um, get Chuck E. Cheese in trouble for it seems like the most silliest thing to me. Okay, but the story is um, Debbie Keller uh, is going after Chuck E. Cheese, saying they are promoting um, gambling to children. And apparently she has a three or five-year-old, so I'm quite interested in how much she's gone to Chuck E. Cheese, because at that age... They, they, we'll move on, though. Um, she says, basically, what what the games are in there is illegal gambling devices and is seeking $5 million. Now, I agree it is gambling, the ticket games, but I don't see it as illegal, and I definitely don't see it as the same as actual casino games. But I worked at an arcade for three and a half years. I'm very much aware of how much people play those games and are more or less gambling. Now, one of the things is, most of those games nowadays, you're guaranteed to get at least one ticket. Right. And Well, the one ticket hooks you. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but you're not going to lose your money. You'll get at least one ticket. So it's like it does pay out every time. It's just sometimes it pays out more than others. And more and more, you look at the games. Me and Brian were at um, Dave & Buster's here about a month or so ago. And, you know, more and more, you look at the games that are being put out. They're pure luck. You know, it's not like skeetball that was all skill or mostly skills. You know, some people just throw it randomly and do good. So the slot but machines. The majority of the games that are out there now are luck. So how, and simple. So how is that any different than a slot machine? It's not. Okay. So is you it know, gambling? When we're, when we're all looking, when we're looking at it here, Keller has a very, very valid moral point, which is I've seen something that I can get money off of, and I'm getting a lawyer. <laughs> Right. Okay. Wait. And like I said, to that some might not be valid as a moral point. You know, to some extent, yeah, it's gambling, but at the same level, it's while well, they're not winning money, um, they are always going to get something. They're having fun. 
Um, it's not like you're going to um, lose your car or your house by getting too carried away and playing video games at Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, okay. but they are fact, getting money. I, I mean, like those this. tickets are a type of currency because you can take those tickets and buy something. So how is it not a currency? You're playing the game. and the, I, well, I guess my, my question here is how much exactly show the harm that your child has suffered at the hands of Chuck E. Cheese. Show me how much damage Chuck E. Cheese has done to your child. Oh, no, as a parent, I've suffered way more damage from Chuck E. Cheese than my children. Yes. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would say that the food at Chuck E. Cheese is probably <laughs> going to be, on the whole, more damaging than <gasps> the games. So we can sue them for, for making our children fat. But now, also, see, now that's real money there. <laughs> Another thing is... Um, Playing video games is fine. Video games, though, has nothing at all you could possibly get in return. So is that just stealing? Wait, you know, you, wait. Well, video, com- video games do have something they give you in return. What's that? Carpal tunnel. <laughs> while playing these ticket games, there's a little bit to it. You actually do play. You know, is that h- how is that different from playing a video game? Except for the fact that with the ticket games, you're going to get a return. You know, the, the, some of the stuff it's like really are, are, are you getting that serious into the lawsuit? It's silly to me because it's really trying to find these, to me, harmless little games as a gateway drug, kind of like how they love to push marijuana. As, oh, if they start smoking pot, they're going to be doing crack in a month. The next thing you know, they'll be you know, dropping hey, dead from a heroin overdose. I'm going no. to throw a Dennis Leary quote in here. Um, he was talking about the fact that when he started doing marijuana, he made bongs out of everything. He says, marijuana doesn't lead to other drugs. It leads to carpentry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, you're doing stuff like that. You get creative in how you smoke it. Yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> okay, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Well, thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Say goodnight, Ian. Uh, well, yeah, I'm the only one left. But, yeah, good night, and yeah, don't forget to go to Amazon.com and find my book, My Delusions of Godhood. I'm still trying to promote that. And the other thing is uh, next Sunday, um, the atheists, uh, Denver atheists, are doing a, uh, a, a Scientology. Scientology. Yes. Yeah, that's a, at 11 o'clock at the Walnut Room, and uh, we intend to be there. So we, we really hope to. Ian's just got to get up working time. Get done. All right. Thanks for listening. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright shadow knight digital portraiture larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request 